1: Engineering your success.
2: This is a podcast from Minute Media.
0: It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, February the 20th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkametspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to thank in our good friends from Fansided. We're part of the Fansided Podcasting Network. They're great business partners, and check out the good folks over at RisingApple.com. Well, welcome in to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. Uh, We took a breather last week. Hope you guys enjoyed the Super Bowl. You maybe won some money on boxes or did some responsible betting Uh, enjoyed the commercials. I particularly like the Larry David commercial, if there was one that stood out to me. Maybe you could email me on one that I'm missing. The Sopranos one was good, too, but I like the Larry David one. And uh, I'm not really—look, I play fantasy football. I love, you know, watching the Jets and the Giants. I am not invested in the NFL at that level like I am with the Mets and what we do here in the NBA. But uh, I thought it was important for us to take a week off, obviously, with the lockout now and. Full lockout mode now that pitchers and catchers reported. Now it really is starting to sink in. And not much to really talk about, I thought, taking a week off, seeing how things transpire, recharging the batteries. And uh, as I tweeted out, really going back at it now that, uh, you know, in theory, the season would be underway. The journey would have began but we're still in this lockout mode. So took a week off. Hope you guys also uh, enjoyed your week off. And now we're back at it, and I don't think we're going to be having any weeks off anytime soon because even with the MLB uh, Players Association and the owners going at it and some unfortunate news coming out of baseball that related to the Mets, an old Met, a former Met, Matt Harvey, will probably have plenty to talk about week in and week out. And when this lockout ends, and hopefully as we uh, go and see some negotiations starting next week. Uh, hopefully, when this ends, that is going to be a wild, wild few days. As what is there about a hundred free agents and teams trying to execute maybe deals they have on the back burner, players they've been looking and eyeing at. I, I just can't. I actually can't wait because I think it's going to be one of the more fascinating, and it will still be. It'll be the off season, but it's it's going to be kind of like off season that's quickly going to go into spring training. So. It'll be very interesting when that time comes, and and I'm hoping it comes sooner rather than later. We have joining me in just a little bit somebody that I think may not have a household name. He may not be Jim Bowden of The Athletic or John Heyman or Jeff Passan or any MLB insider, but he's somebody that's pretty darn inside the Major League Baseball Players Association because he was a consultant to the Major League Baseball Players Association up until the end of, uh, oh, I guess this past week, former agent, Friend of the show. He's been on before, Joe Casal, And uh, Joe is on Facebook. And if you follow him on Facebook, uh, be prepared because he's not for the faint of heart. He has a lot of strong opinions. Uh, Having been on the agenting side and sold his agenting business many, many years ago. Yeah, he's a Yankees fan. We'll forgive him for that. Uh, I think we're going to get, or this show is going to give you, by far, the best look at what's going on between the players and the owners. Now, I had said for a while that we weren't really going to get too deep into this because, you know, does anybody care? But let's face it, I had said back, before Thanksgiving, during the World Series, and I don't want to pat myself on the back, and if you listen to this show for a while, you're going to hear this, and you've heard it before, but I said this thing would be solved closer to Valentine's Day than New Year. Well, unfortunately I was right, but here's the other part. This might get solved closer to St. Patrick's Day (laughs) than New Year, and that's bad because if it does... We're looking at a delayed start to the season, and I think that's disastrous. And uh, like I've said, and I'll get into it in a little bit, there's a big pie of money out there. Uh, I think if both these sides are not looking at each other as business partners, and I think the Major League Baseball Players Association in this situation really is trying, and they want to get their fair share of the pie, but I don't think they want to destroy the sport. I can't say I'm convinced. I'm not saying all 30 owners are like that, but I think there's a contingent of owners that – uh, is looking to burn the house down to win. And I'm curious if Joe knows any of those guys, because I have a feeling, you know, looking at the list of owners, who they may be. And I don't think Steve Cohen, I don't think Hal Steinbrenner is one of them either. So I don't think they come from New York, but we'll see what Joe has to uh, say about that. So Joe Casal, he was con- former agent. He was consulting with the Major League Baseball Players Association up until about a week ago or so. So he's got some really good stuff, and we'll be hearing from him in just a little bit. When we come back, former Matt, Matt Harvey, controversial figure, very polarizing situation, a guy that brings up a lot of good and bad emotions for Mets fans, was in the news again. And it was for a bad reason. It was for a reason that was more off the field or all off the field. And it drudged up some old memories. An old Mets name came back in Terry Collins. Ticked a lot of people off, at least on Twitter, for what he said. And we'll get into that because I think it's important. So we're going to revisit the Matt Harvey situation. I think it's more of a story because, well, there's really nothing but lockout going on. But it's a story nonetheless. And I think that the reaction to the story and some of the opinions that come out of it or have come out of it actually annoy me more than the story itself. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When do we return? The Matt Harvey saga and the unfortunate death of Tyler Skaggs and the trial of Eric Kay, the communications uh, employee over at uh, over in Anaheim with a former communications employee. We'll get into all that and more right after this.
3: When I first heard it today, I got a call and 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 first I was very disappointed, um, but not shocked. You know, we all there was a lot of uh, speculation when Matt was in New York from guys who were around him. Um, that he was on something at, at some of the time when we were in new york and uh, i heard players talk about it once in a while i actually had a player in my office one day who was having an issue and and i was talking to him and he said well you know i'm not doing what matt harvey's doing and i said well this isn't about matt harvey it's about you so i, I it was it was out um that it, there was issues but um you know we did what we thought we had to do to, to try to get him some help and obviously you know matt's got to be accountable for his actions you know you see it you hear about it you read about it um you know new york's the greatest city in the world and there's a lot of guys when you're a star in new york you're big and and to become a star there is great but to be able to maintain it is what you do on the field And, and and i think matt got caught up on stuff off the field uh we certainly addressed it i called You know, the the guy that dealt with it more than anybody on our team and David Wright, I had David talk to him, gave one of the best uh, synopsis of how to behave in New York uh, to Matt and said, you know, know, I was 21, good-looking guy, you know, but you got to go, it's about playing, it's about doing your job, and certainly there's no question his off-the-field stuff hurt him a lot. You know, there was a time when we all thought this guy was going to be the best pitcher in baseball, and, and certainly his, you know, to, to become a star and to try to be a star in New York took him down. All
0: right, we're back. So you heard a couple of clips. Terry Collins was on baseball night in New York, and no surprise when we have very little news, baseball news. You're in the middle of post Super Bowl. NBA is heading into its all-star weekend. Knicks and Nets aren't playing well. Uh, We all know how hockey is such a distant sport in this town that a story about Matt Harvey using cocaine and other opiates, other drugs, would would pretty much dominate uh, the New York media landscape for about 24 hours. Then obviously with the news coming out that Harvey contemplated suicide, a very serious thing. And we still don't know how serious Harvey was, uh, but certainly when someone says something like that, you have to uh, certainly uh, examine and see what kind of help he needs. I'm not surprised that all this bubbled to the surface. What disappointed me is I saw a lot of the experts on Twitter, which is not a place where a lot of experts make a lot of good expert opinions. And, you know, you you go through and see a lot of the journalists in the in the area writing their pieces and looking back at Harvey and what could have been opiate addiction is bigger than the game. I mean, I don't have to tell anybody that that's not some kind of uh, aha statement. It's bigger than this show. It's bigger than any of the clickbait media narratives that are out there. It's a serious thing. And there are probably people in this audience that have been impacted by it and impacted by it in a big way. And for that, I'm truly sorry that listening to something like this may bring up bad memories it's not meant for that to be the case, but it's a story. I'm not qualified. The media isn't qualified. Uh, a lot of people aren't qualified to really dive into this in a big way. There was actually, and I'm not getting paid for it, so, I mean, I did do an ad for them, but there's a, a fan-sided podcast called Blindsided that gets into the mental health and athletes and everything like that, and those people and, and who, who's on that show are probably qualified. I will say this first about Matt Harvey before we get into the the off-the-field stuff. And I'm not saying off-the-field didn't participate into where Matt Harvey is now, which is a very bad, below-league average, probably not big-league pitcher. I mean, you you saw him against the Mets last year. Clobbered in Baltimore, got hit hard in New York, pitched to an ERA over six. He hasn't been the Dark Knight for a long time. The Dark Knight died, basically. Game 5, 2015 World Series that night. The Dark Knight. That character, not Matt Harvey, thankfully. The thoracic outlet surgery. Not the Tommy John, the thorac- thoracic outlet surgery. And this was on Twitter earlier in the day, and I jumped in on it. But I've been saying it for a while. Anybody who's, who's listening to this show for a while has been heard me say it. That, to me, is really where his career ended. And look at the pictures. Phil Hughes, Chris Young. Jaime Garcia, Tyson Ross, Chris Carpenter—I think Chris Carpenter actually either came back from it or had it later in his career. Uh, Stephen Strasburg just had it. Uh, I think even Dylan G was a pitcher that had it. Without getting too medical, because I'm not a doctor, it's um, you know it's basically a nerve or blood vessel in the neck that is causing numbness in the arm, and when they wind up going in and doing the surgery. It just seems like these pitchers they're going to lose velocity, they're going to lose movement. they're not the same. it's it's anytime you're dealing with a shoulder, it's much more complicated. there's much more moving parts and the recovery, even though you could go back from a medical perspective and pitch at a big league level, you're never you're never the same. I've never really seen someone come back from TOS and really pitch at the level they did before. and if I'm missing something, let me know, but I haven't seen it. Ultimately, it destroys your career. So let's put that. That's the Matt Harvey story. That's where Matt Harvey's career ended, and that happened in 2016. Now, did the -the off-the-field stuff contribute to that? I don't think so. I mean, that's, again, for a doctor to say, is doing cocaine and drinking and and popping pills, is that going to cause this kind of nerve damage? I have a hard time believing that, but again, I'm not an expert. I'm going to preface that because it's important because I don't want to think anybody is going to mistake me for trying to be a pundit on this. I'm just talking about an issue. That's all I am. The media is not qualified to really look back and say what the Mets should and shouldn't have done. You heard Terry Collins in that clip. They, prefer, they referred him to the professionals. The collective bargaining agreement at the time could not allow the Mets to take a stance or push Harvey into getting help on speculative kind of information just because a player said he's doing cocaine or he's doing some stuff. And anybody that knows somebody or has been in that world knows that it's very hard for that person who is ultimately the person that needs to get help. Uh, it's very hard for them to come to that realization. It takes a long time. Interventions sometimes have to happen. It doesn't matter what you say as a team. You can't force somebody to get help. You can't have a camera on a player 24-7. Once they leave that ballpark, they, they, they could do whatever they want. They're, they're just like you and I when we leave work. When I'm not doing this show, it's a whole nother world. When you're not doing your job, you your job doesn't hover over you on Saturday night. At least I don't think they do. Maybe they do. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think they do. So to go in there and start to criticize the Mets, and I, thankfully Steve Traxel, former Mets pitcher, jumped into some of the nonsense. and Says, "Hey, there's mental health professionals that I when I was there that are helping us. Maybe they're not on the Mets.com site. Maybe they're, they're consultants or they're contractors. But just because you don't see it." And because Matt Harvey said he didn't get help, well, there's a lot to that. Matt Harvey saying that on the stand on uh, getting immunity, uh, that's a lot different than me understanding what really happened. And to turn this into an LOL Mets is irresponsible. And if you want to know why the media is never getting back in the locker room, If you want to know that? And, you know, you heard Adam Silver over All-Star Weekend, basically the first commissioner to say, I don't know if the media is getting back into the locker room. Well, this is why. Because you can't handle any stories maturely. Okay? You can't handle it maturely. So to, to re, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm at with that. Um, uh, you know, even if he was suicidal, even if they had committed him, if they could, I think he could only be held for 72 hours. You can't force somebody to clean, get clean. You could try to help them. You could guide them. It has to come from them. So that's where I'd like to see where the accountability is on Harvey on that. I'm not ready to, you know, sort of throwing the Mets under the bus. I know this, some people say I think he's done I and mean, he's gonna probably get in a suspension. I mean, this was a serious thing. You had a, a team employee providing pills. Uh, and and the player was misused. I mean, they weren't prescribed for him, so clearly it's 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 illegal what the guy did. But I mean, he's not the only guy that's probably misused prescription drugs. Uh it's a bad situation. and It's a situation where I don't think you could just blame one person or the culture, everyone likes to call it culture, or act like it was so obvious or that baseball needs to fix itself. This is a societal problem. But I think Harvey's done. And I know I heard what people said, you know, Gooden, Strawberry, Steve Howe. Gooden and Strawberry had cachet in this town from the 80s Mets and played at a level where, and especially with, and remember, George Steinbrenner gave him uh, Gooden a shot. And Strawberry did get a shot from the Giants after the Dodgers let him go. But it was really the Yankees that saved those two guys. And if it wasn't for the fact that George loved collecting 80s Mets, I'm not sure either one of those guys would have gotten another chance. I really don't. Steve Howe was at a different time in our society, I think, where I'm not sure we were as sophisticated on these issues. And again, he was a talented guy, so of course. And there was something left in the tank with Steve Howe. There is nothing, in my opinion, left. With Matt Harvey. Now as far as anger at Terry Collins. I'm going to give you the most balanced take on Collins. I never liked Terry Collins as a manager. He had a reputation that he was this old, caring, players manager. Complete farce. Terry was a caretaker. He was supposed to clean up a messy situation. And then after 2012, 2013, when they were starting to get the young guys in. And they were ready to compete. Get a real manager in. I wanted Wally Backman, who I thought could be a young manager with a New York pedigree and could grow with those guys as they got better. Terry was never going to be that guy. They forced him into that because the owner liked him. He wasn't a great communicator like everybody talks about in the media or writes about in the media. I know that for a fact. He delegated a lot of leadership to the veterans. I knew that for a fact. You heard it in that clip about how he delegated to David Wright. He didn't really pay attention to young players. That's why he got fired in 20 after the 2017 season. Uh, I didn't I don't think he could really he couldn't handle the modern player now. I mean, forget about it. He was struggling to handle the modern player back in in 2015. So the narrative of who Terry Collins was, if you're mad now, that's who Terry Collins is. It's a hands-off guy who probably was in and over his head with all this Matt Harvey stuff. It was a bad fit after a certain time. He was supposed to be there temporarily, and it turned into a, a, the longest tenured manager in Mets history. But, and I know you're mad about him coming out and speaking out of school, he is paid by SNY to do a job. His job is to analyze. A No comment in his role is really not acceptable. I don't think his quotes were callous or cold. I don't think he lacked compassion. He was honest. It wasn't like all of a sudden he came out with a tell-all book about Matt Harvey. He's just doing his job, and we, cr- we should have said no comment. Well, he's getting paid by SNY. What do you want to do, lie? Well, I don't know anything about what's going on Harvey. You know what a no comment seems? Makes it even worse than, than maybe coming out. He basically said, sent them to the professionals, try to get him help. Anything he said about Martin Harvey not showing up, we all knew those stories already. It's nothing surprising. I talked to guys who were actually working in security with the team. They told me they thought the guy was uh, may have been dead the one time they went to go look at him because he didn't show up and he wasn't answering his phone. I mean, that's the first thought that goes through anybody's mind. That's common sense. person's not answering, calling, 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 calling. What's up? Something's wrong. Thankfully, it's not. So... This idea that the Mets should have done more or the Mets should have known or they should have pushed Harvey into getting treatment and that Collins is this, you're all off base on it. I feel bad that this poor guy, Tyler Skaggs, died. And there's justice being served to the team employee in Anaheim that facilitated all that. To be quite honest, it's much bigger than all that. And yeah, Harvey got immunity because that's what happens in trials. You got to give somebody immunity to get to the end result, which is winning the case. That's the legal games. Anybody who took Law 101 knows that. But if we're going to make this more about this is the reason Harvey failed and comparing him to Gooden and getting all angry at Collins, guess what, guys? It's not the story. Matt Harvey blew up because Matt Harvey has a bad shoulder. And we don't know how extensive his drug use was before that bad shoulder. And just because he partied a little bit and may have done some of these things doesn't mean you're an addict. We don't know, and we don't know the layers of what the Mets tried to do, the conversations his teammates had, his friends had, his family. We have no idea, and it's not our job to speculate. Does it change anything? And none of us are qualified to judge the mental health or the team or the agent or whoever was involved to judge how or what they did when it came to this guy's mental health because we weren't there, and we're not qualified. There's people that are paid to do that and know a lot more. And if it was a bigger story that was worth examining, maybe we would, but it just isn't. I'm sorry. Matt Harvey is in the history books, and I hope that he gets help, and I'm sorry that the guy passed away in Anaheim. And unfortunately, I think that the hot takes on this are kind of laughable because you're out of your league. So when I wanted to talk about this, I wanted to talk about this as humbly and as honestly and couch it with, hey, this is not my wheelhouse. Believe me, it's not my wheelhouse. All right, that's all I'm going to say about it. That's my take on the Matt Harvey, the Collins situation. I gave you the good, the bad, and the ugly about both of those guys. And I'm no Terry Collins fan, but to scorch him for doing his job at SNY, I listened to the comments, and, and you heard some of the comments coming in from the break. They were just honest and direct, and hey, sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth... Really hurts. And sometimes the truth sounds mean because it's the truth. That's the world. That's unfortunately the case. And sometimes people need the truth. Maybe Matt Harvey needs the truth. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we return, we're going to get into a lockout talk. Our good friend, former agent consulting the MLBPA on some of the inner workings of what should be done with this lockout, with this negotiation. Joe Casal. I'll be back with that and more right after this. Matt Harvey was a polarizing force during his time with the Mets. Jared Diamond, national baseball writer for the Wall Street Journal, shared his experience covering the Dark Knight on the Talking Mets podcast.
2: Well, covering him in 2013 was absolutely remarkable. It was so incredible. And I think, like like anyone else who saw him that year, you thought you were looking at, you know, the next Nolan Ryan, a guy that was going to be around for a long time and be a perennial all-star and establish himself as one of the best pitchers in baseball, best pitchers of his generation. So it just was, it makes me sad looking back what happened to him. And now that doesn't mean that it wasn't his fault. He did a lot of things wrong. He made a lot of mistakes. And I have no doubt that he would acknowledge that uh, now looking back. Uh, this was a tragedy that was certainly self-imposed in many ways with, with bad decision-making uh, by Matt Harvey, but he also had a lot of pressure put on him by the media, by fans. Uh, It's just sort of a sad story, and it's a shame that he will never be the player he could have been, the player perhaps he had a chance to be, and it's just another one of those baseball stories those sort of what-could-have-been stories.
0: Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. We're back, and I'm really happy to have with me a good friend of the program. Uh, I've known him a long time. I met him in a Yankees board. Yes, people, I met him in a Yankees board. I used to do both New York teams. I was trying to promote an old WGBB show, and I used to go into all these message forums days of message forums. Yes, they used to exist before Twitter, and I used to post my show. And this guy named Chef Casal, who was very critical of the Yankees, even though being a Yankees fan, said, I'd love to come on and talk about the Yankees. And we've been talking now. 15 years later, but he is a lot more than just a Yankees fan. Former agent, extensive uh, labor negotiations he's been involved in, sports business consultant, my good friend Joe Allen And Joe, welcome to the program. This is a long time away from complaining about the Yankees during the 2007 season, which is when we first
4: met. 15 years. I actually yeah. had black hair there. so did i and
0: i'm dying my hair now too joe what does that say about me
2: (laughs) joe is on facebook man and
0: and he does he does great work and if you want to hear opinions about sports you might you might not want to stay in his kitchen and he is a chef but he brings the heat up so joe here's what i said coming into this and i'll set it up for you because you're the expert you've been you've been in the business, you know, players, uh, you're very familiar with what's going on with the MLBPA right now, much more so than some of the quote unquote media insiders who may be spinning an agenda. But my stance has been pretty simple. There's a big pool of money. The fans want this product and they continue to want this product in a big way. Baseball's always been behind Joe. They were behind in media. The NBA was always ahead of them with the internet and the clips and all the expanded playoffs of the marketing. um, If you read what the media has gone out there and said is that the players real contention in this negotiation is not how they divvy up the pie. It seems like it's pretty close. It's about the players who have less than three years. It's competitive balance, which will lead to more money and a better product. And if that's the case, both sides should be able to partner. The question is, are they partners? They should be. Does Tony Clark want to be their partner? Does Rob Manford want to be their partner? And with, you know, people still hurting economically, We're still in this whole COVID thing. We don't know what the political unrest going on in this country. Gasoline, groceries, money's going to be tight for the fan. Even those who have some wealth. We're not just talking about, you know, Joe and Jane average here. I'd be real careful about messing around. Now I said, be closer to Valentine's day than new year that they solve this whole thing. Now I'm saying it could be St. Patrick's day. We're staring down the barrel a week from now. We're going to have the beginning of a cancellation, not spring training this season. So, I threw a lot at you at you. I think it really this is not that complicated compared to 94 and the collusion of the 80s. This should be much easier, but it sounds like it's very far apart.
4: Well, let's break it down in three different areas. I think, one, you are right that there should be a partnership. I mean, you look at the successful leagues right now. It's the NFLs, the bell cow, the NBA behind them. There are partnerships between owners and players. That's the reason why those sports are growing um, and expanding in their in their reach, in, in, in their fan interest and everything. In order to have a partnership, you have to have trust between the parties. There is no trust between the players and the owners. And there is enough labor acrimony to back up why that is. So you say, OK, we don't trust each other. How are we going to bridge those gaps? We can bridge the gaps in a lot of ways. Where they're apart on money is really only 3 to 5% of the total pie. It is not that vast. Where they're apart is on issues that really speak to the heart of where baseball is today, and that's competitive balance. The players want more competitive balance. The owners want the status quo, the status quo being they just want things the way they are. They want to penalize the Steve Cohens for spending a lot of money. They want to penalize the Dodgers for spending a lot of money. And they want that money to trickle down to franchises that don't spend a lot of money. And the players are saying, hey, that isn't working anymore. Okay, yes, franchise values are up, but competitive balance is down. And we want things to be more balanced. Then you could have free agents look at teams like Tampa and Pittsburgh and Florida and in places they wouldn't normally look because it isn't just only money decisions. I mean, you know, you have tax decisions, you have other decisions to make, but if you're not going to be competitive, players aren't going there. And when you're looking at franchises like the Yankees right now, it's clear that Hal Steinbrenner doesn't want to spend the money he used to spend in the past because the penalties are, making it, at least in his mind, cost prohibitive. You have Steve Cohen who comes into baseball and says, basically, screw the penalties. Build a winning franchise. Now, that's wonderful for the Mets fan base, and it energizes that fan base. The rest of baseball is going, uh, Steve, yeah, we got a thing here. And Steve's going, hey, I don't care about your thing. I care about my franchise. So you've got all of these competing issues here. And then you have the number one problem right now, and that is Rob Manfred. This is the first time in our lifetime that we have a commissioner who really doesn't like baseball. You know, you could, you could criticize a lot of things about Bud Seeley. One thing you couldn't criticize is Bud Seeley loved baseball. You could disagree with his vision of baseball if you choose, but he loved the game. Rob Maffrey called the championship trophy a hunk of metal. All of these ridiculous, you know, weekend softball like changes to the game, they're not helping the game. He's decimated the minor leagues. So, where is the growth from baseball coming from? All of these small towns that guys played in, Mike, they developed fans. Mm-hmm. Kids played the sure. game. We don't have any of that anymore. You don't see How many kids do you see going around playing baseball?
0: Well, well you go to small town Americana here. Uh, Texas. You know, I got a buddy that's down in uh, the Carolinas doing sports and Friday night is high school football, high school football. That's what it is. It's it's not I don't even think they know the Braves down there in, in the Carolina area. And, I, you know, you bring up the man now, Manford works for the owners. And, and before I came on with you, I went on to Wikipedia and I'm looking at the list of all the owners because things have changed a little bit since the last time there was a lot, you know, strike really. And, you know, Manfred works for the owners. Is it the, I suspect, the Hawks, the old time Hawks that were there when Selig, Collusion 1, Collusion 2, Collusion 3, the Jerry Reinsdorf, the, you know, King Kendrick, you know, guys like that. Are they the guys who bought back in the 80s and early 90s that were around? Are they the ones you think driving this train? Am I misreading that? Because I don't think it's all 30 owners that are a problem. Forget Cohen and Al Steinbrenner in New York. I'm talking about, you know, owners that are in, the middle of the, of the pack here too. I don't think all of them are.
4: Why well, misreading that? I think you're looking at a lot of new owners in the game that are heavily leveraged. And mm. they're saying, hey, I don't want the financial conditions in the game to change. If you're Stu Sternberg and you're trying, you, know, you failed in an attempt to split your franchise between Montreal and Tampa, you're trying to get a stadium in Tampa, You've, you've been a great beneficiary of the league revenue sharing pool, of bigger market teams spending money and going over the tax and, and, and that money getting down to your, to, to your pockets, the same for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, you're, you're looking for more. You're not looking for less. The players want to eliminate that. The players want teams to be competitive. I mean, look, the Baltimore Orioles for years, a, you know a significant franchise they haven't won in ages and they're not even trying to win so you know if you look at the if you look at last year mike you could make a pretty strong argument that half the teams in the league were tanking. that that's that's disgraceful. no
0: that's that's disturbing and what i don't understand it's not the nba and the nfl there's no guarantee a top three or four pick ever makes it to the big leagues that Absolutely. that's what's mind boggling. And here's what I don't think they understand. And this has been going on for a while. Maybe that you can't really count attendance in 2020. There was no attendance. And then 2021 things opened up, you know, depending on where you were, as you went into the, the spring, I don't see, and forget about inflation. You want to throw that out. You want to say it's transitory. You want to say I'm overblowing it. Look, you fill up your tank here in New York for $369 a gallon. You got to go to the grocery store. It used to be 100 is 150. I'm not getting political here. This is fact. You don't have that extra disposable income to go to City Field because I went last year and a basic City Field modest night is going to cost you a couple hundred bucks. And that's for two people. You bring kids, it's 400 and it's your whole day. I don't care if the game is at seven. You are not going to do that to watch a team tank and look up like, you know, maybe Twitter people do look up who the, you know, 20th best prospect is and worry about who the assistant GM or the next rising assistant GM, what, you know, what he's doing down in the Dominican. Regular fans don't do that. And they're not going to do that in July. Maybe you'll get them to come for some kind of event. You know, Mets have like these running the bases, you know, they could get it sponsored. Is the attendance not important to them? Because if I was an owner, I know that the real money's with the cable. I don't want to sit and see my product empty. While I wait for year twenty twenty seven, where I'm supposed to be on schedule to be competitive, like it's absurd. It's just common business, Joe. It's like opening up a store and actively trying not to have people walk through, and saying in five years yep. I'm going to have this place packed. It's it doesn't make any sense, and it makes a little bit of sense in the NBA and the NFL, but it never made sense in baseball. I don't get it.
4: No, and and the and the problem that the owners are facing right now is these regional sports networks worked with a bell cow for major league baseball for ages are now starting to dry up. You know, I mean, you don't realize that in New York so much with the yes network and SNY, but you go around the country, those dollars are not going to be there. Joe, and cord cutting, a vague... games, Co- cord, exactly, cord cutting coming. is season games, Cord cutting's coming. Cord cutting's and coming. And is here. And yeah. a lot of these regional sports networks are not making the cut. Certainly the Sinclair properties are all, you know, in trouble and there's all kinds of issues with their debt. And if they can't restructure it and what they're going to do with those stations and you start missing regular season games, you're going to have to start offering rebates to advertisers. So this becomes a gigantic problem. And it's, it's one of the driving forces why the owners want more teams in the playoffs. And the reason why that is, is that players are paid for 162 games. The owners really make their money. In the playoffs, because they're getting that gate. I mean, the players' share, playoff shares, are much smaller. And 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 while there's a possibility of that pool rising, not to get deep into the weeds of everything, and there's a possibility of that pool rising, it's not approaching your salary. I mean, Max Scherzer is going to make forty-three million dollars if he wins the World Series for the Mets. He may make another half a million dollars, but if the Mets have Ten or twelve home games during an expanded playoff season—that's putting another thirty million dollars in Stephen Cohen's pocket. It's paying seventy-five percent of Max Scherzer's salary, if you want to break it down. So it's an important—it's an important process for the owners. For the players, they say, "Okay, if we're going to have expanded playoffs, then we got to have expanded rosters. Because if we don't have that, we're just all we're doing." Is playing more baseball and getting more injured for less money. And and so this is the the give and take that goes on and, and, and the and the scary part about it is they're not far apart on the basic economics. What they're apart on is the competitive balance issue. And that's a significant issue. We're gonna talk about Jim Bowden's article in the Yep. In the athletic and, and, and one of the and I have several criticisms of it, but one of them, when he says competitive balance is an issue, you know, the competitive balance tax is an issue. But if you say but then you're negating it as an issue. Well, it's a you salary know, and, cap.
0: I mean, Andy Martino wrote about this right, and why? Exactly. I mean, it's a salary cap. It's a it's it's a, it's a backdoor salary cap. I mean, you're going to start to lose draft picks. I mean, even a Steve right. Cohen. You know, some of this, if I'm looking and I'm reading the, you know, I'm reading some of the, the rumored uh, offers, it could be up to 95% tax. I mean, that's, that's high. It, it, the draft it, it's picks will kill completely
4: regressive of teams yep. wanting to build winning franchises. And that right. is the thing that the players don't want a part of anymore. And the owners want to keep. And so when, when you write a story that's, that's heavy on numbers, And you take the most significant issue and say, well, it's an issue, but no, it's the issue. Okay. and so when you also write in the story, it's time for the players to move more because the owners have moved more. Here's the problem with that. I'm going to use the analogy of a Brooklyn townhouse. You look at a Brooklyn townhouse and it's for sale for twenty five million dollars. You go on Zillow and you say Zillow says the house should be the townhouse should be worth $12 million. So you decide to place an offer for $10 million on the on the property. The seller turns around and says, Well, I'll drop it to $20 million. And you go, Well, okay, I'm going to offer you the $12 million it should be worth. And then the the seller says, I'm going to go down to $18 million. Now I've gone down $7 million. You've only gone up two. I've made the larger adjustment. It's time for right. you to raise your number. The right. fact of the matter is you offered a prohibitive price for it. So, of course, you had to come down more. And so now if you go above 12000000 million, you're going above what the property is worth. And, so, and that's what's happened in the baseball negotiations. The, the owner's initial offers were so poor that they were never going to be agreed upon. I mean, you know, Joe, three to, 5%, it, three to five percent,
0: three to five percent is in. I don't want to say it's insignificant. The gap is so easily bridged. I don't want to make it like, well, right, you do one and a half. And
4: it's really not enough for a lockout to take place. And what happened right. is once the, the players made a substantial offer near the holidays, the owner sat on it for 43 days. Right. 43 days. Well, no, they're trying. Everybody and,
0: knew they're trying to choke them out. I mean, let's face
4: it. Right. They are trying and to so choke now, these guys out. And so now we're, we're all of a sudden supposed to believe there's a sense of urgency here. And what happens in all of these negotiations, Mike, it's, I'll use the Tiger Woods analogy. Tiger Woods, you're playing a pro in with Tiger Woods. And Tiger will ask you, hey, do you want to play for money? And you say, well, how much do you want to play a hole? First, after you ask how many strokes you're getting, you're, he ha- mm-hmm. you, you say, how much do you want to play a hole? And Tiger says, whatever makes you uncomfortable. You know, wow. and so this is the owners want to see where the players are going to be uncomfortable. They're not going to be uncomfortable in spring training. So they're going to wipe out the first two weeks are wiped out again. And nobody. And Joe, it, it's
0: not it's the first two weeks. N- neither side is going to get impacted. And forget about financially the players are doing their own ramp up. Like really back right. in the old days, they'd come to spring training fat or have jobs if you really go back. Uh, guys like Degrom, Scherzer, even Taiwan Walker. I'm just naming Mets here. I, I see them on Twitter. They're they're posting. Some of them are posting their workout videos. They're working out right. now. They're not getting to work with the team. And the Mets have a new manager and a new staff. And there is some value to that. But where it gets tricky will be as you get, like I said, to uh, well past this week. You're going to have regular season in jeopardy. I talked to a former player. He says you need probably three weeks for pitchers. He thought hitters could get two away with two weeks you and i know maybe there'll be some bad baseball at the beginning with that hamstring injuries muscles whatever but in general if you kept yourself in shape three weeks for pitchers two weeks for hitters is that really fair if you just want to talk about what is needed for a real spring training without the other bells and whistles is is that fair and, and, and will that, they drag it out to that
4: point? i think that that's fair and then but when then when you get into mid-march and now you're not playing games now it gets a little tricky because now you're working into April, okay? And now you're going to start losing regular season games, and you start losing regular season games. This is when parties really entrench, and they say, you know what? We're not gonna, we're not gonna move. We're gonna get what we want to get. And now things start dragging out. You start dragging into May. You start dragging into June. Now it starts getting painful. And I think there's a segment of owners who believe that's going to be the flashpoint of pain for the players. I can tell you the players believe strongly, but there are a lot of owners who are coming off COVID and coming off no fans in 20 coming off down here in 21 that they're going to start feeling the pinch. If there are no games. Right. And that's when the rubber's going to meet the road. Now, again, I preface all this in saying, preface all this, And if there's not significant movement, if there are not people that say, you know what, fellas, we've really got to make a deal. And my belief in this has always been that baseball is not in the position they were in in 1994. Even as late as 1994, they were the national pastime. They're not the national pastime anymore. The NFL is. There are less people watching baseball. There are less people playing baseball. I think after Rob Manfred's power play, With the MLB network and getting out Ken Rosenthal and Richard Justice because they had the audacity of offering balanced coverage on the labor talk, I think it's done incalculable damage to the network. So their advertising revenues are going to be down. Their viewership is down because people see it now as just a propaganda arm for management, which is horribly unfair to the people that work there. But that's the damage that Rob Manfred did to that network. So you can forget revenues coming in on that front. There are a lot of people right now what's going on with the MLB app, which was a cash cow and has been a cash cow the most successful yep. sports app in history. It's a great app. It was the first one never leagues an other leagues have, never, leagues, the other leagues
0: have right. never caught up. Never caught up on and it. I
4: the all of the work that MLB the MLB is doing for the other for the other websites that they're deriving terminals revenues from that. But there is an auto renew um, feature. On the MLB app, and what is going on right now is a, and this was started by the fans. There has been a fan-wide move to disable your auto renew. Right. So, in other words, you know, when you guys play games again, I'll spend my I'll come back. ninety-nine. I'll Right. Until then, I'm not giving you a, I'm not giving you a, Joe. a, a lockout fund.
0: Joe, let and me throw th- you. That That is that is fair. Joe, let me throw you a couple of things maybe to put some, and this is devil's advocate because I agree with everything you're saying. One agent, small agent, told me one of the concerns he had is that Boris and Boris clients are running too much of it because there's a big difference between the rich Boris clients and the middle-of-the-road guys. And you also have about 100 free agents that don't have contracts. And not all those guys are Boris clients, Uh, You have guys like a Jonathan Villar of the Mets who probably was looking at a one- or two-year deal. Stress is going to start to amp up because if they get a deal done March, April, May, whatever – it's going to be like a week before they have to get a team. They're
4: going to get well, pinched. It's going to be, it's going to be one really of those chaos. free-for-alls, you know? It's yeah, like, and it's, it's going interesting. To be, remember the show, but they're going to the get
3: Sweep? Yeah, right? yeah, Supermarket remember, Sweep. Remember the
4: show, Supermarket Sweep, where you get cash yep. and go through the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to steal gonna be,
0: that. I'm going to steal hey, that. So you when know, it happens, you want that Miller-Fielder? Go, yeah, I don't know.
4: But I think, you know, the Scott Boras thing always cracks me up because there's always got to be a boogie. You know, and, and, and they all and we always get to Scott Boris boogeyman that that is always small agents bitch about Scott Boris owners bitch about Scott Boris. You know, Scott's the boogeyman. Scott's running the whole thing. And then, you know, my answer to that is if Scott ran baseball, baseball would be a 15 to 18 billion dollar a year industry and everybody would get be getting rich, including Scott. So, mm-hmm. you know, because if you listen to what he has to say and you listen to the ideas he has, they are really to grow the game. Does that mean it helps Scott Boris? Of course he's an agent. Of course he's going to help himself, but it also helps other people too. What they don't want, it, 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 it is the most maddening industry ever because they really, they, they kick themselves in the groin at every turn and you wonder why. And the flashpoint differences here are you're not the national pastime anymore and you've decimated the minor leagues. So all of these little cities where, you know, you grow baseball fans, you're not growing them anymore. And you're going to start pissing off the cities like Jupiter, Florida, and, and Phoenix, Arizona, and West Palm beach, Florida, and Sarasota and, and, you know, all of these areas that have spring training in small towns And all of these areas that that hotels have been getting killed because of COVID are depending on these incomes. You're going to basically turn your fan base away. And unlike 1994, there are not steroids, McGuire, Sosa, don't ask, don't tell, let's do whatever we got to do to win them back you don't have the internet and it's
0: creation remember the internet coming into creation and all the content that it was you were allowed to get that's not there that medium has been created and and um you know i i i I, I, it sounds like if if the competitive balance tax is where it's at it almost sounds like and i hate to make it about the mets and cohen cohen is probably scaring the bejesus out of these guys what he did and i don't think he's gonna do this every year I don't think he's going to do this every year. He has to do this now to get credibility. He wants to build a team just like if he could do the Tampa Bay Rays and have all these great players make a minimum and then pay them when they get there six years, why wouldn't he do that? He's not dumb. He's not a bad business guy, but he can't do that now. So he has to spend because he doesn't want to have an empty stadium for five
4: years because that won't work. That won't work in New York, but, not
0: with the Yankees across but town. See,
4: here's the thing, Mike. And this here's the thing that no one that that – that carries the water for Major League Baseball is going to tell you. Every team in Major League Baseball, from the Miami Marlins to the New York Yankees, could carry a $150 million payroll easily. Easily. Now they'll say, oh, you're crazy. These small markets, they can all carry it. You know, there is nothing written in stone, Mike, that you have to make a 40% return on your investment every year. Okay? I mean, you know, it's like... All of these people believe their own bull spit after a while. Right. All of these franchises are worth over a billion dollars, with a B, okay? Even the Miami Marlins, who, if we recall, signed Giancarlo Stanton to a $300 million payroll when they were drawing 2,000 people a game. Okay, everybody's got the money, Mike. They don't want to spend it. They want to have – the Pittsburgh Pirates were putting together a championship-caliber team. In 2012 to 2015, they broke it up because they didn't want to pay guys. Go look right. at the roster on the 2013 and 14 Pittsburgh Pirates. And if they kept that team together, okay, yeah. they don't Would want to spend.
5: Right.
4: right. And so well, they,
5: they're arguing
0: happening... that they don't have the margins. And that's the thing we don't know. Look, opening up a ballpark, the overhead, the benefits, the salary, it, you know, and obviously debt, debt financing, that's going on with Yankee Stadium. Uh, the Ponds were done in by debt financing.
4: I mean, that's Everybody's COVID. got the money. Everybody's got the money. They don't want to spend it. And if you're a team like Boston or the Yanks, and look, the Red Sox blew up a championship team because they didn't want to keep paying the tax. Sure, They wanted the tax reset. So the players are saying, why are we penalizing franchises for trying to win? Why are we doing that? And why are we rewarding franchises for not trying to win? It's really, that's what the crux of the financial discussion with is. And with all of that, they're within the range to make a deal. You could lift the lockout tomorrow. The can't, the players can't end the lockout. I think it's important. And this is where language is really, really important. The players can't end the lockout tomorrow unless they accept a deal that is unacceptable to them. And, my, I, and I have this conversation with people all the time. I say, why would, you accept, why would you want them to accept an unacceptable deal just so you can watch baseball? It's not your business. It's their business. Okay? So the owners tomorrow could lift the lockout and open spring training. And you could continue to negotiate and you could negotiate under the umbrella of the previous collective bargaining agreement, which was a major win for the owners. And you could try to get a deal and you can open spring training and people can see games and players can get ready. You can get everybody signed that you need to get signed and continue to negotiate. And now let's say, for example, you do that and you get down to opening day and you don't have a deal yet the owners could then lock out the players again. They could do that, but they don't want to do that. They don't want to do that because they feel that that would be a negotiating disadvantage to them. And that is the crux of the problem. And the players can't solve that unless they accept an unacceptable deal. And that's why we're at, and I don't want to use the word impasse, because impasse has a labor definition That this is not, because if there's an impasse, then that becomes a legal issue, and you have to argue that before the National Labor Relations Board. So language becomes important here. You know, they're not at an impasse. They're actually closer to getting a deal than a lot of people think, but it's going to require the owners to do something that as of today, as we speak, they don't want to do, and that's pretty much blow up the competitive tax. And make it a more balanced situation.
0: They do have some members of the media that would disagree with you. Now, former GM, and you mentioned it earlier, wrote a uh, Jim Bowden who works for the athletic uh, Sirius XM MLB radio does a show. Here's what he wrote. Uh, It's important to remember MLB players have had the best collective bargaining agreement of any of the four major pro sports in in North America. And MLB is the only one without a salary cap and with fully guaranteed deals and no limit to contract lengths. That's right. I think the onus is on the players, not the owners at this point. The union's position has moved very little since the lockout began. They've basically had no movement on the following issues. And he goes into the, the postseason uh, format, the minimum salaries, which I think is so close. I think they're $100,000 apart. Uh, you know, in baseball world, that's $10. Service time right. manipulation, revenue sharing, competitive balance, which you just brought up, draft lottery, Super two uh eligibility. He mentioned that they've uh they've budged a little bit on the player pool for non-arbitration eligible players, and they basically said keep free agent eligibility the same. Um, you know, he's basically saying that the Joe Casal point of view is wrong. Here's an insider. Like you said, what do you say to a guy like that? I know you've pretty much covered it, but what would you say if Jim well, Bowden was sitting
4: across from you? I, I would say that Jim, you know that the current collective bargaining agreement is not a favorable one for the players. It was not just a huge win for the owners. The owners have spent the last five years rubbing it in the faces of the players. And you know that you're not a rookie at this. Secondly, the NBA has guaranteed contracts. Uh, And so does the national hockey league. The only, the only league that does not have guaranteed contracts the national football league but they do have guaranteed signing bonuses and if you look at what quarterbacks are making right now you know that's, as right. I, I, we like to say sure's are money okay sure so um, there's a lot of money so in the NBA in the NFL if people
0: right. start to look John Wall's yeah, 40 something million right. dollars a year John Wall's making
4: and the whole idea of that there isn't a salary cap in baseball the competitive balance tax is a salary cap it is it is not said as one, but you know, you mean to tell me when the New York Yankees need a shortstop, they don't want to pay Carlos Correa to be shortstop because it would put them over a tax number that the owner doesn't want to pay. You know what that's called? That's called a a salary cap, (laughs) you know? So, So it's all, I mean, so it's, it's just not accurate. I and mean, I used the analogy, the real estate analogy earlier, the players haven't moved a lot because the owner's offers have really not been serious. So why should the players move? When I was an agent, one of the things I learned early on is that when you talk about doing contracts, we always hear this meet in the middle. Well, nobody meets in the middle. If you think your player should get a million dollars a year, and this initial offer is $200,000 to your player. You're not getting to a million if you start moving off that number soon. If you feel that number is legitimate, you know, if you feel like, look, a guy with similar sure. skills, this is what he's making. Well, I'm only, I'm only going to pay him $200,000. Well, then you're not serious to negotiate this deal, so you get back to me when you are. You get a call a few weeks later. Hey, I just went up a hundred percent. I'm gonna double it. It's four hundred thousand. Yeah, but the number for the similar player is a million. You're still not serious, but I doubled my offer. So I'm gonna tell the press, hey, I'm gonna tell the press I doubled my offer. The guy I doubled the offer. See these agents, you can't trust these agents. I doubled my offer. So the the stenographer, not reporter, but stenographer, writes, hey, team off, doubled the offer. It's those agents holding the player out. But, but you're still not serious. And you get down to, let me know when you get serious. And now I'm going to negotiate. Week, right. a month, a year, you get back to me. Now, all of a sudden, and this is football I'm talking about now, when I was in it. You start getting to training camp. And the head coach is putting pressure on the general manager. Hey, I got to get this guy signed. I need him. Let's go. Now, all of a sudden, you get the call, and he's offered $800,000. Right. Now, we're starting to get somewhere. Now, we're starting to get somewhere. And now, we start negotiating. But we've lost all of this time. we lost a month and a half, two months. Well, that's, that we that's, that's you just
0: described on. the MLB offseason pretty much every season for the last 10, 12 years. Exactly.
4: what you just exactly. described. Exactly. That's, that's why
0: guys don't sign until Valentine's Day. That's right. basically what and
4: you described. Right. And that and, and it gets down to the Tiger Woods analogy I discussed earlier. You know, you want to make you want to play for money? Yeah, how much do you want to play for? How much will it make you hurt a little bit? How much will it make it hurt? That's how much we'll play for a whole. And so we haven't gotten to the hurt stage yet. Now these are smart men. I mean these owners are smart men, Rob Manfred's a smart man. There is a date that it starts hurting we don't know that date buyers don't know that date but there's a date that's going to start hurting now for fans it's hurting them right now they want baseball for management it may be it may be memorial day it may be the fourth of july it may be labor day we don't tell you joe
0: you you lose any baseball more than maybe a week. Maybe, maybe they come to an agreement early March and they move the season back to the old days. What I say when I was a kid in the eighties, I know I'm dating myself and you watch baseball far longer than me. Baseball didn't start till April seventh, April eighth, maybe April 10th. So it wasn't the end of the world. You could probably live with that, may lose some games. But you start talking about uh, nineteen ninety five, May first or worse, like COVID, I don't know, Joe. That's not oh, good.
4: That's I think that the I think that that's where management has grossly miscalculated. I'll take it a step further, Mike. If we're in the middle of March and there's no deal, you know what's going to take the front page of the sports page? NFL free agency.
0: I know. And the <laughs> you know, NCAA it's tournament. Take over. Right. Yeah. Right.
4: And the, it's going to be a March Madness, and you know where baseball is going to be? Page 13C. No By the way,
0: schedule. in certain places and, of the country, my, like I've got a buddy down in Carolina. Uh, right? They start talking Carolina Panthers the day after the Super Bowl about what they're going to do next year. They exactly. don't talk about pitchers so, and catchers.
4: That's right. So for me, I mean, I, I'm a big believer and and Buster only wrote one of these hearts and flower pieces for a guy that's been in the business forever. I, I wanted to pull whatever remaining hair I had <laughs> out of my head. You know, why can't they just sit in a room and talk? But but you know, this isn't a marriage counselor, okay? You're not bridging gaps when the gaps are so wide. It's like these are veteran people who've been in this forever. They know when it's time to get serious. And the offers determine when it's time to get serious. See, as, as fans, we view it as dates. Hey, we should, and we're just discussing this. You know, you start getting this date or that date. Right. These guys mm-hmm. view it as when the offers get serious. And right now, the owners haven't really made a serious proposal, and the players have moved. They moved off a lot of stuff, you know, but the but the margins are close enough where there can be a deal done, but it isn't just sitting in the room. You know, I've sat in labor negotiations where they've had a six-hour bargaining session, and nobody talked for the first four hours, like literally didn't talk. <laughs> they were just so drinking their coffee staring the at each other. <laughs> so they can come out of the meetings say, "Well, we met for six hours, but we didn't talk. We just hung right. in our groups." You know, so I think that we're at a point now where the players are ready to go. They're ready to make a deal. But I think you still have a faction of owners that think that this is five years ago and we can just throw them some creature comforts and they're going to fold and that isn't going to happen this time. And that players are ready to lose games. Because I think the players believe, and I don't disagree with this, there is a large faction of owners coming off COVID and coming off last year that are pretty well leveraged in their franchises. They start losing regular season games, especially if they're in a market where their RSN deal is either expiring or you know, is in jeopardy or is being renegotiated like what's going on in Miami, or they're going to have to start giving advertising givebacks and rebates. Yeah. That's, that's going to be the, and, win the rubber And lead. advertising well,
0: budgets are going to be reevaluated. Look, I'm in business on my personal side, supply chain margins, commodities are all going up. Everybody's going to be looked at with their budgets. Marketing departments, no different. You're going to have to rob Peter to pay Paul to run your business. Let me ask you this, Joe. we got a couple more things as uh, as we get to the back half of this. Um, from a competitive standpoint on the field, this is obviously not the major issue. But I don't really have a problem with the DH. I've been saying that the DH, especially with the way that, that pitchers uh, have to be healthy and how hard it is to keep them healthy, you don't need them getting hurt right on the bases. Think Chiming Ming Wong a few years back. You're a Yankees fan. Uh, and I don't have a problem with the 12-team uh, postseason. What I'd like to see... I'd even say 14 teams do a 14 round robin uh, wild card week instead of at the end of the season. I know they, you know, if they make so much money from postseason, cut this season down to 154 and start a wild card round robin so that, you know, if the Yankees or the Mets are playing for the wild card that last week of the regular season, do they have to sit home and hope that the Brewers win or the Reds win or the Nationals win or their competitor gets the Nats who are tanking? And the Mets got to go into Atlanta, play each other out, and then may the best team make it. You're going to burn their best pitchers that week. It's going to put them at a competitive disadvantage. A week is not going to put the, 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 pennant, uh, the division-winning teams in any danger. I'm okay with more postseason. So the, what about those two on-the-field points that are really the only two on-the-field points that have been uh, muddled into this whole uh, collective bargaining situation?
4: Well, I think the universal DH is going to be here. I mean, it's the, the only league in all of sports, in all of baseball. High school, minor league, major league that has a pitcher's hit in the National League. So, you know, it's, it's just time. And, you know, if you want more teams into the postseason, then you're going to have to expand the rosters because you're going to need more players. I mean, players are getting hurt now in an alarming rate. I mean, it's we could do a whole other show on the cause and effect of what analytics has done to pitching and how it's destroying the arms because everybody's just trying to generate velocity and what it's doing. But that's that's a whole topic for another day. I mean, it it kind of weaves into the collective bargaining agreement in the sense that baseball is not doing what it needs to do to grow the game. And the, the number one thing is all the guys that are hurt. I mean, you know, injured list. I mean, we're supposedly in this era of having all of this data at our fingertips, yet injured lists are swelling every year. Guys are hurt all the time. And the rosters are not enough anymore. I mean, Mike, if you're going to be using five pitchers a game, you can't have 25, 26-man rosters anymore. No, you're you going to have to have 35. are pitchers. Mm-hmm. And yep. so now what happens is you've got this asset in Carlos Stanton, for example. Who's making $33 million a year, but you say I can't play him 148 games in the field. If I do that and he gets hurt, I'm hosed. And I only have 20, I only have, you know, three guys on my bench. And one of them is the backup catcher because I'm carrying so many pitchers. Right. And and so the whole thing, I mean, these are the things that if you have two parties that put together an equitable CBA they could sit down and start talking about the real issues of the game, which is balancing data with on-field, expanding the minor leagues, not contracting them, you know, expanding rosters, developing players, you know, having more unified off-season programs, because everybody's on their own program, which doesn't help. And that, is kind con- of contrast from the NFL, where the NFL has these, right. you know, OTAs, and they, re- they pay the players to show up, but everybody's on the same page. So you don't have to worry about if Patrick Mahomes is doing a different, you know, workout than, you know, your defensive line and, and, and not knowing what's going on, where in baseball, you know, Max Scherzer's working out completely different than, you know, other guys, than other guys sure. on the staff. And, and so it's all of that stuff, but it gets it gets thrown to the side over the CBA. And so you're battling the CBA and it's, you know, Bruno i Mar- I'm going to date myself. It's Bruno <laughs> C. Martino and Gorilla yeah. Monsoon slugging it out in, 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 in Madison Square Garden. And then finally, when you get the deal done, both those guys are so bloody. They, they don't you're not even going to get to the meat of those issues because you don't want to see right. each other anymore. That's, those are the problems that we have in the game right now, and they're not getting solved when we're arguing over three to five percent of the pot, and competitive balance issues that really, this is where the players and this is the final point I want to make on this one of the, ma- the major difference between 1994 and now is social media. Before. In 1994, the owner set the narrative of what was going on, whether it was accurate or not. These days, players can take to Twitter. They can take to Facebook. They can take to TikTok. They can let you know what's going on. And if you follow Max Scherzer's Twitter page, they'll let you know, know in certain terms what they want and what's going on. And it gives the fan a chance to actually see and hear what's going on rather than it being said to them by, some, by a third party. This is someone who's on the executive committee who was sitting in the meetings. And so if a player is saying, Hey, look, we want the Baltimore Orioles to be competitive. We want the Miami Marlins to be competitive. That gets 30,000 people in a ballpark every day. That makes the races better. That makes players want to go to these markets. Okay. That seems to be okay for me. You know, that seems to be a good thing. So, it puts the onus on the owners that don't want that. It puts the onus on a commissioner who is saying, no, 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 we're not, we're not, we're not doing that. (laughs) And so this is the, the, this is the tug that's going on in all of this. And that is the problem. That's what's causing all of this difficulty. And, um, you know, and we get back to flashpoints. There is a flashpoint here. We're not there yet, but there is a flashpoint. And, that flashpoint's going to be coming in late March when you start bouncing games, if it gets to that point. And then that's when, you know, that's when things can get really bad because people start digging in. And, you know, Mike, we're both Italian. You know, yep. people start, you know, Italians start up, digging in. That's right? not a good thing. The old Bensoners.
5: we, we I was great. Okay? Was <laughs>
4: gr- <laughs> and that's what happens in these negotiations. The parties yep. start digging in. And you know, you know unlike yeah. the last negotiation, Bruce Meyer is an actual guy that you don't want to screw with. And the players have a hammer that they haven't had since Don Fear. And so it's a whole different ball game now. And that's why, you know, my attitude has always been we we there's not enough, we're not far enough apart to A, have a lockout, B, start missing games, and C, not, getting, not only not getting this deal done, but then sit down and really talk about growing the game. But if we start missing regular season games, then that gulf is going to be really wide because then the players are going to say, screw it, get back to us when you're serious. Want to be serious in July? No problem. We'll curl up and, and chill out. And that's going to be a dicey thing for a lot of owners who may be talking tough right now, but then those, you know, then those, those bills come due and those notes come due. And um, then it gets to be a lot different because this is a different financial landscape right now, Mike. Um, we are looking at banking differences. We are looking at supply chain differences. We are looking at fan interest you know, the, the NFL would love a labor stoppage in baseball. Because then you're sure. going to get all NFL all the time. And that's going to be on the dominant part of the sports page. Because the younger generation of content creators in sports are all in football and basketball.
5: Yep. <laughs> so yeah. it's more I for know.
4: them. And baseball just keeps getting shoved to the side. And it's listen, I've had this discussion with people both on the management side and the union side, saying, fellas, I'm, you know, I'm in the football business. I'm telling you, they are praying you guys are dumb enough just to, to make this go into the spring and into the early summer because then it's wall-to-wall football. And then before you know, Mike, you snap your fingers to the 4th of July and what that is, Two weeks NFL camp, training camp. Training camp, and, and then and, the back, and of, you the back just, at it. Yeah. And you just screwed yourselves. And yep. this ain't 1994. You know, the old Rick Pitino, to paraphrase the old Rick Pitino quote, you know, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa ain't walking ain't through walk- that door. <laughs> well, you Pete know? Alonso,
0: Pete Alonso, John right. Carlos Stanton, and Aaron Judge yeah. made. Nope, Joe. These guys
4: don't walk through the door. Because <laughs> here's the interesting part about that. That could happen. If baseball bothered to market those guys, they don't market anybody. They don't market players. Okay. What did we hear from Rob for three years ago? Mike Trout, arguably the best baseball player of this generation. Well, he really should do a better job of marketing himself. No, Rob, that's your job. You think Adam Silver told LeBron James, geez, LeBron, you know. You're gonna have to market yourself.
0: We really no, he don't shoved know you. He shoved LeBron down your throat at ESPN <laughs> right. every second of every day.
4: <laughs> I mean, I mean, they. they this
0: you got to know how to market. Is, you got to shove people down each other's throat. Right. It's, uh, you but know, it's,
4: this uh, is all of what we're talking about. Is this? It's like this big to use my Louisiana friends' expression. It's this big pot of, of gumbo, and yep. all of this creates the dish, and when you're in the middle of these negotiations you know you start getting pissed and you get more pissed and before you know it you start getting entrenched and that's when things get bad and am I, and again i keep beating this drum you're not far enough apart for this to to be to, for there to be a lockout you just aren't you're not at an impasse You're not in a lockout situation. The owners have chosen this as a negotiating strategy and it is, you're really playing with fire in this, in this market right now where people don't have the patience for this bullshit because everybody's hurting financially and they will turn their attention elsewhere. And that's when you're screwed.
0: Joe, you have painted a very thorough picture. I wish it was a better picture. I hope you and I are wrong because if uh, there is a baseball God, they'll get together next week and they'll talk every day and come this time next week, the supermarket sweep. I'm stealing it because when it happens, I'm definitely going to use it on this show. The supermarket sweep of free agency will happen. I know you'll be watching the supermarket sweep of free agency and uh, hopefully the Yankees, the Mo- everybody will get to a point where we'll be competitive What do you got coming up? You got anything coming up you want listeners to know about?
4: No, I was supposed to, you know, football season has ended. I was supposed to roll into baseball season, but alas, no Waffle House visits before my trips to West Palm Beach and Jupiter. So it's, um, you know, I'm waiting with bated breath like everybody else. And um, if nothing happens, then the next thing is NFL free agency in the middle of March. So we'll see where, where it goes from there. Yeah, that's, Kind Joe, of crazy, but let's hope crazy for the best. stuff. All right, Joe, listen,
0: you've been very generous of your time. Thanks so much, man. And we'll do it again and uh, be well, my friend. My pleasure. Mike, Thank to you. That's Joe Casal. Uh, Joe is a uh, longtime agent, a lot of experience in labor negotiations, does a lot of NFL, but he's been consulting with these MLBPA guys and really involved in what's going on. So you got a, a good feel. They're not that far apart. But even though they're close financially, it seems like there is a vested interest, at least from Joe's perspective, from the owners to crush the union and possibly just reading between the lines. It's not uh, it's possible we'll we'll miss games. Think about that. All right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts and I got to tell you Joe Casal, our friend Joe Casal over uh, over uh, the last segment. Uh if you read between the lines and you listened to him, uh, this is really a, a a interesting week coming up and a dangerous week in the labor negotiations because if they're that close, as Joe claims to uh, to know, in our segment, and the owners are basically steadfast in keeping things not only the same, but if you read Andy Martino's report, have a much more draconian collective bargaining tax, it sounds like the players are really dug in and willing to miss a paycheck. I mean, you heard what he said. All right, Memorial Day, 4th of July, the players are willing to miss a paycheck. At least it sounds like it. At least it sounds like it. He didn't say they were. It sounds like it. And maybe the owners aren't. And I have to tell you, nobody wins in that. Obviously, you and I will still have shows, but, geez, that's going going back to COVID and how the sport was shut down. And I'd have to get real creative over a 12-week span. Good Lord, 4th of July? How many times can we do the Mets Hall of Fame and relive the 1986 championship and uh, do the best of? I mean, oh, my God. Talk about a death knell for baseball talk in this podcast. But more importantly for the game so I hope Joe's wrong, and I hope we see some positive traction this coming week. But boy, does the, um, was there a lot of ominous signs in that conversation, a guy that really is close to a, a number of people within the MLBPA and gave you a really good take, and also perspective from someone who's involved in another sport, football, and a sport that has navigated difficult waters with the collective bargaining agreements and what have you. So we'll see where... Uh, We'll see where all this goes. Hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, and I wanted to thank everybody. And there's so many to thank. I can't name you one by one, but I personally reached out for those who sent their heartfelt wishes. Uh, you know, I, I got personal on the last podcast and had shared the passing of my my good friend, my golden retriever, Sammy. And, I, you know, when you do something like that, and it really came from the heart because he was always there outside my studio listening to the show, as I had told you. And I got pretty emotional there on on the program as I came in. And you don't know how people are going to take that because you were here to listen to baseball. But the fact that not only people sent me their condolences and their thoughts but shared pictures of their Goldens and their dogs and their experiences, I mean, it just shows we're building this really cool community. We may be from different backgrounds. We may have different opinions on a lot of things, the Mets and life, and we may not always agree. And and by the way, we probably annoy each other a lot, but that's what – a community does. That doesn't mean we we don't want to be together. That doesn't mean that we we can't find common ground. And it doesn't mean that we have to, you know, turn our backs to each other and say, you know, until you come to my side, you know, uh, take a walk. I mean, it, you, maybe they can learn a little bit the MLBPA and the owners from this great talking Mets community. So I want to thank everybody who reached out, who listened, who sent their warm wishes. Uh, I think I got everybody personally one on one, either by email or on Twitter. And I wish I could have longer, thankful conversations if I could with each one of you. I appreciate it. I appreciate every time you turn on that app or your computer or whatever you use to listen to this show. And you dedicate, even if it's not the whole hour and change, a portion of it, it's time that you'll never get back. And time is something that we don't have enough of, as I learned with my life experience that I shared with you. So thank you. Thank you for reaching out. And I really appreciate that you participate every week, most of you, in this show. And I wish I came to you today with a show about baseball, not about labor strife. And I wish the labor strife and the reports that we got from the front line were better. But I can't control that. What I can control is we'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. And hopefully it will be. And I'm going to steal it. I'm going to steal Joe's thing. Supermarket sweep. That's when the free agency bonanza starts, when this thing opens up. And boy, is it going to be a bonanza. So maybe we'll be talking about that next week. We can only hope. All right, I want to thank Joe Casal for joining us on today's program. You can check me out all the time at the com. You can send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at com. No G, Mike Silva at Podcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Check out the guys over at Fansided, our great podcasting partners, and over at RisingApple.com. Till next time, take care, everybody.
5: of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms
1: within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership.